Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. In the house of the Lord and, um, you know, they were singing about uh, Job and uh, my subject this morning for you to consider is, uh, is uh, disappointment, dealing with disappointment. And I think that Job was definitely somebody who was disappointed and uh, frustrated uh, about how everything would, was falling. And Job stayed faithful. Job is a fantastic example of what we can do through trials and tribulations. But um, amen. We're going to talk about that this morning. How do we deal with uh, disappointment? And I'm going to let you be seated. Um, we'll get to my text here, here shortly. But um, how do we deal with uh, disappointment? Where, where does it come from? Where's the place um, that, it, that it grows? And this should come as no shock to anyone um, in the room this morning when I say that disappointments are a part of life, right? Uh, we, we are all aware of the fact that we live in an imperfect, fallen world. And if there is one predictable thing in, in this life, it's that you will be disappointed somehow. All right. So, uh, and we learn this at a young age. It can start even at a young age. And here's basically how it comes about, how disappointment comes about. And it's simply this. When our expectations of the future are not met. See, we all have this idea, right, of what the future is going to be like. We can, uh, we can picture how everything's going to go, the perfect life, perfect family. Um, and, you know, we learn in our childhood at the end of every story, and they lived happily ever after, all right? And we, we, we have those predictions about the future. And as it turns out, uh, you and I are about as accurate as the Weather Channel. I mean, uh, there is, uh, what do they got going on over there? I have no idea. Uh, constantly wrong. But, but disappointment, um, and it could be small, right? Somewhat uh, insignificant things um, like uh, missing out on, on a house that was your dream house, right? You're all lined up, ready to make the purchase. And at the last moment, maybe somebody slides in there with a, a better offer, right? And now all of a sudden, what you had expected, you expected smooth sailing, everything to go according to plan, but it was all taken away. And so now what you had your heart set on is not going to be the reality, and you had almost, and in some people's mind, it's like, well, I had already moved into the place. I had seen where this was going to go, and I was going to paint this room that way, and I was going to hang this over here, but now you're left with disappointment, and there's, there's constantly, right, new things to get disappointed in every single day, but here's the reality. Whether it's a large thing or a small thing, all of us have and will experience and are experiencing disappointment. So I think, I think the better question, of course, is how, how do we deal with it? 
How do we deal with disappointment? Where do we bring our disappointment? Because whether or not it's a massive thing to the world, disappointment isn't a fun place to be. It can actually make you sick. In fact, the Bible, this is how the Bible puts it in Proverbs 13, verse 12, where it says, hope deferred, where you're just, you're just putting things off like, yeah, this is going, this is going to happen, but this is not happening now. What does it do? It makes the heart, say it with me, sick. Sick. You can feel ill. There, there can be a literal physical experiencing of that symptom. But, but don't miss out on the best part of that verse. Notice, when the desire comes, it is a, the Bible says, a tree of life. So this morning, we're going to be kind of looking at a, uh, a lady in the Bible, John chapter 19. This morning, we're going to take a look at, at Mary Magdalene and someone who, excuse me, John chapter 20, Someone who definitely, definitely dealt with disappointment. How many of you know how easy it is for us to just kind of sometimes sort of gloss over some verses and stories in the Bible, uh, you know, just in our reading, especially, you know, verses pertaining to the death of Jesus, the resurrection. You know, there are a lot of people who are like, yes, I've been to this church for several years. I've, I've been to many Easter services. Like, I know, I know the message, right? But I think at times the familiarity with certain texts of Scripture can kind of rob us of the blunt force trauma that was experienced firsthand. Um, and so we're going to look at, at, at Mary, uh, John chapter 20, verse number 1, and it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Notice, by the way, the, the use of the word we there. She says, we don't know where they've taken him. We don't know where he is. The only person we know is in this story from John's gospel is Mary. But she uses we here, and just kind of mark that. We'll come back to that in a, in a few moments. But to kind of put this all in context, it's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday, and Mary is at the tomb. Mary is standing at her last touch point she had with her Savior. This is the only place on earth she wants to be. She doesn't understand the events of the last few days, and she, she won't for some time, okay? But she doesn't comprehend why such an event was allowed to happen. She never even dreamed that it was possible to hurt so bad and to feel so sick with disappointment. And what does she do? She chooses to look up, and she chooses to go to Jesus. He, he's even dead, right, in her mind, and she's gone to him, and she's standing there at the grave, and she doesn't know what the future is going to even look like. She doesn't know how it's going to get any better. How is it possibly going to get any better? But with the thickness of hope deferred, with her disappointment, we find her running 
to God in the midst of it all. She's not standing there throwing up her hands saying, well, we had a good run. It was fun while it lasted. And you know, some of the disciples, by the way, would do that. Some of the disciples, the Bible lets us know, would go back to fishing. Some of the disciples would say, forget it. I, I made a mistake. I never should have put my hope in you. But here she is. She's just there weeping, sad, and disappointed. And she's bringing it to the only one who could manage to do anything about it. And as she comes, she discovers something amiss. Tomb's been broken into. She assumes that it's been burglarized. She assumes that the enemies of Jesus have wanted now to add insult to injury, and she can't handle that. And she, she goes, the Bible says, to get help, and she goes to get back up. She runs to Peter and to John, who are noticed not at the tomb. And she says, someone broke in. The stone is rolled away. Jesus' body isn't there. And John, whose gospel I'll have you pay attention to, we are reading, tells us the most amazing human detail, which there are so many things in the Bible where you realize this stuff isn't made up. Like, this is real. And one of them is our author, John, here, that in this holy writ, who includes this really fun, loving detail, where he says, now Peter and I both ran to the tomb, but I arrived there first. I mean, if it was being made up, would anybody think to include such a detail that puts the apostles in such a bad light at every turn? You're supposed to be men of God. You're this is the biggest day ever on the Christian calendar, and you're getting in a foot race with another. And I'm not going to mention any names, but one of the disciples was, was faster, and it wasn't Peter because the bold boy doesn't do enough cardio, big guy. But, um, but anyways, John was a little bit faster. And so, so Mary's like, okay, great, 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 great. You won, but, but hey, Jesus isn't here. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure enough, he's not, you know, he's not here. But And so then look, look what the verse says in verse number 10. So the disciples went away, and they went back to their own homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping. Mary's distraught, and she knows. She knows where to bring her hurt. Bible says, and as she wept, she stooped down again and looked into the tomb. She had to get low to look high, and so it always is, church. She stoops down, and out of that humiliation came the exaltation. God blesses her with a vision. Notice she looked into the tomb. The Bible says, and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. 
and she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? I can't help but note that Jesus does not bring her to the place that he wants her to get by the answers that he gives, but rather by the questions that he asks. He does not tell her, hey, it's me, Mary, it's I, it's Jesus, look at me, it's, it's me. He instead asks her, why are you weeping and whom are you looking for? All throughout the Bible, Jesus does not get people to where they ultimately are meant to go. Oftentimes, by just giving them direct information, but rather oftentimes it is through those transforming, revealing questions that can allow us to do the math on the inside that we need to do for ourselves. One example of this is John chapter 5 where Jesus approaches the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and says, hey, do you want to get better? Hey, do you, do you want to walk? Do you want to get well? You know, there are some people that might think that Jesus is being insensitive here, but hear me this morning. He knew not everybody who is down actually wants to get up. Some people have gotten so comfortable with disappointment that they've learned to manage their expectations lest they dream big and get dashed again. The English poet Alexander Pope famously said, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. Hey, this will never happen to me. I'll never have that. I'll never live there. I'll never do this. I'll never be that. I'll never achieve this. And so we learn to stay comfortable on the ground. And Jesus comes not saying, hey, it's time to dream big again. It's time to dream for the, the amazing. He says, do you want to stay there longer? Do you want to let go of that disappointment, what disappointment has done to you, and actually learn to walk? And so to Mary, he says, whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? But notice she, the Bible says, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. you got to love Mary's intensity here. At this point, Jesus doesn't keep it hidden anymore, but he says to her, he says her name, the one thing that causes every fog to be lifted and cleared. He says, Mary, and she turned to him and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master, and Jesus said to her, don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and tell them I am descending, ascending to my father and your father and your father to my God and your God because clearly implied in the scripture Mary had fallen at his feet and was looking up as he spoke Mary Magdalene 
came, the Bible says, and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. There is so much to say about these verses, but we must really kind of, we have to start with, uh, with uh, stating the obvious here. Why is it that Peter did not get this encounter? Why is it that, that any of the others, Nicodemus, or why was it, why wasn't anybody else there? And the simple answer that I could come up with is this. Mary was just there. Mary showed up. Mary was there to experience what was happening. And hear me today, the same resurrection power, the same angelic power, the same miraculous power would have been unleashed whether someone was there to observe it or not. And Mary got to experience it and got to be the first commissioned preacher of the gospel because she showed up in the midst of her disappointment, in the midst of her being sick with this hope deferred, in the midst of this is not how I thought my life was going to go. One of the best ways that you and I can deal with disappointment is don't underestimate the power of simply showing up. I'm not really sure how to deal with this, Pastor. I'm, I'm pretty frustrated. There's been a lot of confusion on my end. But you know what? I'll be there Sunday morning, and I'll be there worshiping with the congregation. I don't really understand what's going on. I'm a little bit disappointed, but I'll be there on Sunday. Just simply showing up. The other gospel accounts tell us that she's there with spices in her hands to continue this lavish, expensive, extravagant worship upon her Savior. And that's why she was there at this moment. She didn't know how the stone was going to get rolled away, but that didn't stop her from coming. She had more questions than she had answers, but in her questioning, in her confusion, in her doubt, even in the skepticism that she probably felt in her mind that rationally this doesn't even make sense. This doesn't because Jesus is dead. So this why why, why would I, why would I even come here? Why would I be even here? Party's over. But she showed up to worship. She showed up to the tomb of her Savior, and so can you. So can you today. And when you do, when you do get there, when you do show up, when you do bring your questions, when you bring your pain, when you bring it to the only one who can do anything about it, hear me today, you will not necessarily find him there to give you answers. But as I said, he'll ask you the right questions. When you begin to think about disappointment, at its, at its root, you will find that it springs forth from faulty assumptions. When you begin to think about disappointment, especially pertaining to our text this morning, Mary assumes that the body has been stolen. And that faulty assumption led to what? Further disappointment. On top of his death, 
Now she's got a new thing to worry about. Where's the body? Where'd they take him? Where'd they put him? And so she's experiencing, notice, unnecessary disappointment based on inaccurate information. And I think we oftentimes do the same thing. When you're dealing with disappointment, you have to always address the false assumptions within our disappointment that they stand upon, that they receive power from. So, for example, we're at times disappointed by God's will. Okay? Is this really, is this your will? Is this really what, you know, is this, was this the plan? I don't really like this. This, this is not what I, this is not what I pictured. This is, we got to go through this. We often get frustrated and, and disappointed with God's will, but have we stopped and asked the question, was what I was hoping for actually God's will? Or was it my own wishful thinking? Or was it my own hoping? Or perhaps we also must ask this question. Is my disappointment merely an issue of me having a false assumption of God's timing? Friend, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. I, I think about the disappointment in John chapter 11 when the sisters Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to come heal their brother of a sickness. And Jesus, it says, because he loved them, did not come. The text says, they urgently said, please come. Our brother whom thou lovest is sick. And it says, Jesus did love them and he didn't go. He didn't even tell them, I'll be there in a, in a few. He just stayed where he was and sort of acted like it didn't matter to him at all. Now, Jesus would, in fact, uh, eventually heal Lazarus, not only of the sickness that afflicted him, but of the death that came as a result of the sickness. And so he would say no to what they asked for to do something they wouldn't even have the faith for to even think about, to even imagine asking for something of that magnitude. Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. So at times, our false assumptions now, they easily, they easily could have left him upset, right? He didn't even care. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't love us. It was fake all this time. He wasn't there for us when we really needed him. He wasn't there. He didn't actually care. He said he cared, but he didn't actually really care. They could, church, have built on their false assumptions a castle of their disappointment. But Jesus came doing the same thing, asking questions. Jesus came doing the same thing, provoking them to see him bigger and mightier than the category that they had put him in their mind as well, which no doubt we are all guilty of putting God in a box sometimes. How many of you know we're bad at predicting the future? A couple of you, the rest of you are just 
amazing, amazing people. We're, we're bad at predicting the future. Um, and at times, we, um, at times we base our, I'll say, rage at God on false assumptions or misunderstandings of God's timing. And I'll even add this, that human disappointment is not merely something that is experienced when something you want doesn't happen. It's also when we get exactly what we wanted and it doesn't do for us what we thought it was going to do. Again, we, we, we have these expectations. It might be expected that you will be highly successful and you'll settle down and happily ever after and be rewarded for your hard work that you put into your job. And some of you already have your future just pictured in your mind, what, what this is going to do for you and what that is going to give you. And ultimately what happens is we put more happiness on things that they can possibly deliver. And in those, in those moments where, uh, with, with almost this sickening realization, what dawns on you and us is idolatry, is not merely something that people did way back then, you know, when they bow down to shrines. Okay, because we smirk at that sort of stuff. Oh, Jacob and Laban, pfft, you know, what is that? Meanwhile, we just bought something that we feel is going to make us more meaningful to the world, and people are going to think of us a little bit greater. You see, the reality is all of us at times, what we hope will be something that gives us identity, something that will answer the most basic fundamental question we all wrestle with, and that's, am I enough? A lot of us, because of because of pain we've experienced, difficult things that we've gone through, and the, the, the lies that have spoken over us have arrived at the inaccurate conclusion, the false assumption that, that, that we're, we're not enough. That so, so what does that, that build inside of us? We got to do something. We got to be something. We got to crush something. We got to accomplish something. We got to rise and be better at this. We've got to go and do and be. And we are hoping if I do that and then this happens. And some of the most horrific mistakes are done as a result of us trying to earn something that we didn't ever need to. Why? Because we actually already have it. In him we live and move and have our being. And friend, that is the only thing that you can anchor your identity on, on that something that will not disappoint you when it, you need to, it to deliver the most. Because even if you do achieve some success, even if you do make it, you do achieve some success materially, uh, uh, scholastically, athletically, uh, at work or commercially. Now what? Now, whatever originally gave us validation is going to have to keep, keep, keep delivering over and over and over again. <clears throat> 
It's going to have to keep doing that, or guess what? We will no longer have that affirmation in our life. Is this making sense this morning? You will no longer have that, attaboy, great job. You no longer have that. What have we anchored or what have we anchored in? If it's, if it's our looks, if it came from our ability, what, what, what when you're old? I didn't look at you because of, you know, the, you did that to me last week. <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're trying to anchor and, and find our identity in these things that are fleeting, these things that are, that are moving around, right? And so you put your anchors in some of those things and you find your identity. You're trying to find, you know, what if when your body can't deliver those same things, now what? You put your worth on this? And we've all felt it. You know, I just thought I'd be happier. I'm here where I want to be. And the target, oh, where's the target? It moves. It's over here. Oh, it used to be right there. No, it's over here now. It moves. And we can, and many do, and all of us have felt it, experience that sense of chasing the wind. Ecclesiastes calls it trying to grab oil in your hand. It just slips through. You know what? It's not to be found on this planet. And that at, at times can be very, very disappointing. And of course, at this point, we can get we can get jaded and prematurely concede defeat and just throw up our hands and say, well, there's just no point to even living. Be careful with disappointment because it quickly leads to depression. I'm not saying there's not an answer for any of those things. I'm just saying that's a not a place that we want to be. We can quickly get to the place where, does this really even matter? Vanity, vanity, all vanity. Mary, she didn't do any of those things. Was she disappointed? Yeah. And guess what? She's still showing up. Yes, there are some false assumptions, and we'll have to see those things corrected, and she does. But Mary does so well that we must ask the question, what gave her the power to look up in the midst of her great disappointments? When we look at her on the worst day of her life, and we try to pull out things that can help us, here's the cool thing. You ready for this? You don't ever need to experience the same exact storm she did to receive the power from the smart things that she did. We, what, what, what can we do to get to a place where whatever we experience, we continue to look up and hope in the midst of our pain and disappointment? How can we foster what Mary fostered? Well, let's go back and, and look at Mary early on. And I'll be quick with these verses, but it's worth pointing out. Luke chapter 8, verse number 1 says, Now it came to pass. Now this is years back. This is, 
This is Jesus is just in the beginning of his ministry, right? And the Bible says that it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went through every city and every village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that the 12 were with him, which is a great little detail to show that Jesus got all the attention, right? Because he was preaching, but the 12 of them were helping, right? It takes a lot of people to get the gospel to a lot of places. But don't forget that there's more. Read on. The Bible says, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna was there. What is this? This is, is, what community is going on here? Is a, this is a small group of people. What is this? What have they been doing together? These are people who have been through some stuff, and they regularly hung out together. Regularly, the circle of friends connected because on Resurrection Sunday, Mary had her posse there with her. Mary had her group there with her. She's almost always, when she's given in Scripture, her name, Mary Magdalene, included in a list of names of these other people she was discipling and being discipled by so she could have people to talk with about her disappointments. People that could help point to Jesus in the midst of all those disappointments. Let me just ask you a question and why would we ever suffer alone? Because people do. Why would we do that? Why would you try why would you try and follow Jesus in this world alone? Hear me today. Community is important. The brotherhood is important. Discipleship is so important. Our fellowship is so vital. And then notice. Bible says there in Luke, they and many others provided for him, Jesus, from their substance. Mary, you see such generosity exemplified. I mean, what would you do if you were healed of seven demons? What would you do if God did a great work in your life? If you're like Mary, you would spend your whole life saying, I want to pay that back. I want to pay that forward. If he can do that for me, I want to see him do that for you. And she and all these others, the wife of Herod Stewart and Susanna, they all said, man, Jesus has done something great in our lives. And so guess what? We're going to generously support it. Here's the tricky thing. She didn't even know that she was preparing herself for disappointment. As your treasure goes, there your heart goes. And Mary, she handles disappointment so well. I believe in large part because of the way her generosity had prepared her for it. Mary was a generous person. She was also an intense individual. When she confronts the gardener in the garden, she says, where's Jesus at? Tell me, did you move him? 
I could just see this little woman standing there just like staring him right in the face. Where is he at? Tell me what you did. Did you move him? I'm going to go get him. I'm going to bring him back. Now, they say that everything that they would wrap bodies in was, was equal to half of the body weight of the individual. So let's just say that Jesus was 150 pounds. We're talking about a 225-pound thing to lift up. Woman, are you going to back squat that? Like, how are you picking this up? How are you going to go get him? How are you going to bring? She had intensity. She was last at the cross. She was first at the tomb. There was some intensity to her. There was a zeal to her. And you and I can have that too. Hope is a muscle, church, that you can build. Faith is an attribute that you can strengthen over time. You are not stuck at the level you are at. You can be on fire, as on fire for God as you want to be, as you desire to be. You are at this level because you choose to be. She was intense. Now, we started, I'm going to ask our music to quickly come. We started our journey this morning curious about where does disappointment grow? Where does, how does it, how does it manage to find a place? How does that grow in our lives? Because we're all going to experience disappointment. Where does it come from? Just a quick illustration for you. Now, I am by no means a gardener. I know that might come shocking, but um, I am by no means a gardener. I know a little bit. I know how to turn the hose on and water. Uh, let's say that, just trying to paint a picture here. If I wanted to plant some flowers... What I would need to get is a, a base layer of some soil, right? Some potting soil. And then, of course, I would take the bulb and I would stick it down into the soil. And what I would do is then I would shove more soil on top of it, right? Then I would go, I would get some fertilizer and you green thumbs you could critique me after service that I'm missing a step but I'd go get some fertilizer pour that on top I'd water it and basically do this again shovel more soil on top of it it would sit there and it would what be forgotten out of sight, out of mind. And then, of course, this is the only time that I could receive what I planted. So, where does disappointment grow best? In the same place that your greatest growth can come from. And wherever you are tempted to give in to your disappointment, to be defined by it, that is also the same location where if you don't believe the lies that are spoken over you and of your situation, you can see your greatest growth and your biggest disappointment all come from the same place.
the place where you feel buried, the place where you feel forgotten, the place where you're tempted to think, well, how much more can I take? I mean, how much more can life be piled on top? How much more dirt can be dumped on top of me? But only by enduring the location of your greatest disappointment can you experience the great growth that Jesus has for you. It's in the same place that Mary experienced her greatest miracle the greatest commissioning, the greatest realization, the revelation, the greatest soul transformation. Hope deferred, we read, makes the heart sick. But when it comes, the Bible says it is a tree of life. Stand with me this morning, if you will. Mary stood at the foot of the cross. The last person there and she thought, she thought it was a tree of death. But she had no idea it was actually a tree of life. You see, we will always mistake what we have when something starts to come out of the ground. Why did Mary think that Jesus was a gardener? She got what she wanted but didn't realize it because it didn't look like she expected it to look. Supposing him to be a gardener. Now, part of me wants to really preach this in, in this way because she was actually right. Doesn't Genesis chapter 2 say that the Lord God planted a garden? He is a gardener, only here's the plot twist of all plot twists. The same way that he is a shepherd and a sheep came and died as a sheep. Jesus is a gardener, but he came to this world as a seed. And in John's gospel, the 12th chapter, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and is buried and forgotten and dies, it will never bring forth any fruit. But if it dies, it can produce a great, abundant harvest. Oh, he is a gardener, but plot twist, he's also the seed. But Mary didn't recognize him. Why? Because she was looking for a bulb. But now he's a tree. She was looking for that version of what Jesus was that went into the ground, but he wasn't that version anymore. He has risen. He had come out of the ground. And 1 Corinthians, Paul would say this, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. No one plants roses to get roses. You plant a seed. You plant a bulb to get a rose. And Paul said, you plant mere grain, maybe wheat or whatever else. But then in verse 22, so it is also 
with the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in corruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And church, this is our joy. This is our strength. This is our power. Your greatest disappointment is also where you have the greatest potential to grow. Learn where to run. Learn where to hide. Learn when to fall at his feet and cling to him. Take your disappointments to him. Take your frustrations to him. But don't expect answers. Expect some questions. But the right questions. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes in this place. And... Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.